Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is April the 28th, 2022, uh, and we have another Keynote show. As many of you can imagine, I get pitched a lot of different projects. Sometimes they sound interesting, sometimes they don't. One of the projects or books, new books I was pitched to discuss today was uh, what the publicist at least would call, if not the author, um, the first literary HDH, um, uh, ADHD memoir. Um, the book in question is A Thousand Ways to Pay Attention a memoir of coming home to my neurodivergent mind um, it's by a young uh, English writer, Rebecca Schiller. Um, and she is joining us from her home in rural Kent today. Uh, Rebecca, it's not, your memoir is not the first H ADHD memoir, uh, your publicist suggests, but the first literary one. What do you think? And I, and I don't want to put those words into your mouth because publicists obviously need to create publicity. They need to be selling something. What's the difference, though, between perhaps your kind of memoir and the standard book about ADHD? Well, yeah, that, those weren't words that came out of my mouth. But I, I think what the publicist is trying to get at is that often when um, books come out that are about a condition, a problem. They are aimed, they're didactic. They're aiming at giving you information or advice, telling you how to uh, live with a condition, how to improve yourself, um, top tips. It might be a very um, straight narrative, uh, uh, telling um, an experience from um, symptoms through to diagnosis. Um, literary might be a very kind word to say that I my narrative is not very straightforward it's quite tangled um i go in lots of different directions which uh is i guess a product of having this kind of brain um and so it's more of an attempt to make the reader feel like they're having a bath in the experience of living inside my brain um i have no tips <laughs> i don't know how to do anything better and i'm definitely not an expert um so it's using the writing and the stories and the things that i find to create the feeling rather than give information so as i said the book in question is called a thousand ways to pay attention a memoir of coming home to my neuro Divergent Mind. It's a wonderful title and subtitle. Uh, the, the subtitle in particular is intriguing. A memoir of coming home to my neurodivergent mind. I like the idea of coming home. But before we get to that, um, what, what is neurodivergence, Rebecca? What exactly does that mean? Is that the same as ADHD or is it something different? No, it's a it's a it's actually a, a term that was um, coined by an Australian sociologist, um, an autistic woman, who um, had the idea that um, 
it's a political term. So looking at things like biodiversity, the idea that diversity is essential in nature. We, we are diverse as a species, all species have diversity and that therefore it makes sense that our brain function um, is also divergent and that there may be people whose brain function diverges um, more extremely from the typical, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are broken and need to be corrected, though they may have issues that, that need to be tackled. And so instead of looking at there being one way of being normal, a good normal brain, the idea is that we are, there is a, a divergence of, of different ways of, of being and thinking. And that those of us who um, talk about ourselves as, as neurodivergent, and that might be autistic people, dyslexic, dyspraxic, people with ADHD, people with some mental health conditions, um, we have our brains work in different ways um, at, the, at the sort of the most extreme end, but that doesn't necessarily mean there is there is an issue. Uh, your previous book was Earth, the memoir, which was also, um, I, I guess, a, a confessional memoir as it's described. What's the difference between Earth and this latest book? Well, actually, um, this is in some ways supposed to just be the, the North American edition of Earth, but um, I am incapable of uh, tinkering lightly with something. So um, I, when Earth came out, um, a wonderful um, American publisher approached me um, wanting to um, me to do some light tweaks to, to focus a little bit more on the, the ADHD and neurodivergent aspects. Because when I'd set out to write Earth, um, I had no idea that ADHD was going to be part of the story. It was supposed to be a year on my small homestead, my small holding, um, looking at mental health. Um, and during the process of writing it, um, I discovered that I had ADHD. I went through my diagnosis. And so it was written in, in real time. And so in order to, to look at it again, I ended up kind of rewriting almost all of it, putting a, a, about a third new material in, finding new stories and new ways in, um, which was a really exciting thing to be able to do. Rebecca, is this act of rewriting in a kind of, I guess, psychological sense, is that what ADHD and neurodivergence is, this inability to stand still, to stay still neurologically, or is that simplification of vulgarization? <laughs> oh, I wish I'd cracked exactly what it is. Um, I think um, it still defies me. I suppose, um, yes, in some ways, um, I need to move and that's both um, inside my head and actually physically with my body. Um, I would never have known that I was hyperactive. No one's ever described me in that way. But when I was tested, I was on the 99th centile for hyperactivity. And I think um, I need to, um, yeah, in order to engage with something, an ADHD brain is unable to engage with something if it is seen as unimportant or uninteresting. It's not that we're bored and so we're lazy. M my brain won't engage with it unless I can find a way to make it important and interesting. And sometimes that's by leaving things to the last minute. Um, but other times that's that's by, you know, finding a new way to, to sort of imagine something. And that can make, um, to the outside world, you look like quite a restless person, but it's actually um, in some ways a 
pretty exciting way to live if um, the psychiatrist who diagnosed me said, you know, in some ways it's a gift, you know, ADHD people don't like doing boring things. And so if you can, you make your life one in which you have the kind of stimulation you need. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's certainly a trait, um, but but I guess there is stillness of another sort that that is one of the things I've been searching for and I search for in the book. Rebecca then, and again, excuse these these questions because I'm a, a layman, very much of a layman in, in, in this language and these concepts. Um, but it's, and I use this word carefully as well, the problem or the condition of ADHD, is it the inability to prioritize activities or is it over-prioritizing the tendency to just simply say, well, some things don't matter, so I'm not going to do them? Well, again, I guess it's both. And I suppose it's also the perspective you look at it from. And personally, and I write about it in the book, I, I think that um, finding it challenging to prioritize, seeing everything as important, um, which is one of the one of the things that you'll read about if you read about ADHD is executive dysfunction. So our executive functioning tells us what's important and what isn't. Um, all the many millions of stimulus that we have every day that we have to ignore in order not for our heads not to explode. Um, and I certainly um, find that quite difficult. I can see things as as too important. Um, and but I, I think also one of the things I begin to look at uh, towards the end of the book is how much the sort of the problem and the pathology is impacted by being constantly told that the way you think is the wrong way to think. Um, and for example, I've realized that I'm a very, um, I process things very physically. I always want to touch stuff. Um, if I'm going for a walk, I want to touch the bark and I want to put my hands in the water. And if I'm planning some writing, I'll often put things on post-it notes and move them around physically. Of course, kids at school, what do you have to do? You have to sit still and cross your arms and legs and face the front and not fidget and keep your hands to yourself. So I find it quite hard to separate what are genuine uh, problems and difficulties of which there are definitely many and which of the things that are reactions to not being enabled to think and learn and process in your own way and sort of having that messaging that there's a better way to do things. Uh, I have to admit Rebecca I, I like the title Earth as much as I like the title A Thousand Ways to Pay Attention and when I thought about Earth it occurred to me that we had a another relatively young English woman on the show last year, Lucy Jones, talking about the breakdown really in our relationship between the natural world and our psyche. I don't know if you're familiar with her work, Losing yes. Eden, our fundamental need for the natural world and its ability to heal body and soul. Given that your memoir, your narrative, your life is about living on a farm with your family, how central is the environment and our environmental crisis, our separation, our alienation from nature. How central is that in your memoir? It, it's really central. I mean, it's it was the driver to move um, to our, you know, little, very small farm, um, wanting to have a way to be actively engaged, sometimes feeling like we were running away, sometimes feeling like it was an act of resistance. 
and spending time every day having to go outside if you have animals to look after if you have uh you know vegetables to water you have to go outside and when you're outside you have to notice things um and and so part of the memoir is is documenting that process of suddenly realizing for example there aren't just four seasons if you're outside three times a day you notice the little changes that happen every day and and seeing that as a as a privilege and also as something that um at the moment you know given everything that's happening with with the climate and given the way that my brain tends to go in all directions that of course there's a huge amount that we can each get as sort of a, a mental health solace from going outside but if we're really engaging with it we're also engaging with this enormous fiery world burning problem and and being in a world in which you have to hold those ideas that if you go outside into nature it's going to make you feel good but actually you know nature is in huge danger and so are we um so i yeah i love lucy jones's work and um i really um i, I think that 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 we can't really separate the idea of neurodivergence from the idea of you know neurodiversity biodiversity we're talking about um how we look with complexity and real engagement at um the individual challenges um be that of people be that of of, of uh planet and, and species and, and climate change um it it's all very connected it is and of course all very connected um and the ghost at the back of all this the 600 pound gorilla is of course the n-word normalcy um I think one of the challenges of thinking and writing about this is the idea that you're not normal and everybody else is normal. That's how perhaps medical science has defined this. But I, I don't know if you're familiar with a new book by Richard Powers, a novel, Bewilderment, in which he invents a young boy with ADHD, I guess radically neurodivergent. And the point of the book, to me at least, and I'd like to get Powers actually on the show, it's a huge hit, that novel, I'm not sure if you've read it, is that essentially it's the young boy who's normal and everyone else who's sick. Does that ever occur to you that you're the normal one and the rest of us are the ones who are kind of round the band a bit insane? I should say no now, shouldn't I, or I'm going to look really bad. But yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it. I think we all think that our particular perspective and experience of the world is is it's all we have it's all we know and and even even in reading other people's stories and and hopefully being immersed in them you know the, the most present thing is always going to be how we see and, and 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 experience the world but one of the frustrations that and difficulties that I write about in the book is this sense of having and I think one of the things that people with ADHD are, uh, are known for one of the very positive traits is this kind of big picture lateral thinking seeing lots of things at once you might not necessarily be focused on the particular thing paying attention to the one thing but the other 999 things you're paying attention to and, and pattern spotting and so I have an uncanny habit of of working things out and spotting things and and people find that really difficult and annoying and usually spend quite a long time telling me that I'm <laughs> I'm I'm wrong and I'm mad and then you know a few years later it turns out that that 
that thing was the thing. And it's hard to talk about that without sounding like I think I'm some kind of clairvoyant, which I don't. But I do think that when we look at things like our experiences of time, and I, I write about that a bit in the book, that there's an idea that there's a single way of being in time. Um, and it was a great joy to look at a bit of physics and realize that science talks about time as a construct. And so um, my version of time might be just as valid, sometimes a little bit more valid than, than other people's, particularly if it's one that is trying to be a bit more in tune with the, the, the rhythms of what's happening out there. Yeah, and we've had shows about the long term, about being a good ancestor and rethinking the very nature of time, particularly in terms of environmental catastrophe. We had another Lucy, and I think all, most English women probably, um, Rebecca, are called Lucy, but uh, it seems to me anyway. But Lucy Folks, who's a, uh, an expert on mental health, she has an interesting new book out, Losing Our Minds, What Mental Illness Really Is. Do you consider your condition an illness? I mean, is it, you know, we've had lots of shows on this. We had an, an American um, expert on mental health, Thomas Insel on, uh, he has a new book out, Healing Our Path from Mental Illness to Mental Health. Are you, I mean, borrowing this language from Insel, are you closer, do you think, to mental illness, to mental health? Do you want to change your condition? Um. There are things that I would like to learn to cope with better and understand myself better. Certainly when I was first diagnosed, I felt like I had a condition. I needed that at the time. I'd, I'd had a lot of experiences of being treated not very well in, in the health service and some wonderful experiences too, but, but you know, very much sort of sidelined. And so it was great to have a, a diagnosis. Um, I think it depends on your experience and perspective. I don't feel evangelical about any um, way of describing or not describing our experience. I think we each get to, to talk about that in our own way. But for me, the more time I spend looking at the aspects of my behavior and struggles that are mental illness, those, those things are secondary to being an undiagnosed neurodivergent person and having a really hard time with that. Um, and so, I feel like when I have a handle on that any day now, um, what I will be is somebody whose um, brain works in a way that is really challenging in 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 this uh, world and this setup, but has some great advantages too. And I hope that the mental health stuff will 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 step back a bit once I found different ways to to be and to live and to think. But it, it you know. 37 years of thinking and being in a certain way takes a little bit of time to to unpick. Rebecca, on Lit Hub today, there's an interesting piece uh, by Lisa Levy. She hasn't been on my show, but she has a piece out about how to write a pain book. Is yours a, a pain book uh, in terms of writing or is it a, a joyous book or a combination of the two? Or oh, is anything ever one thing or the other? I mean, um, I don't think I believe in there being a purity of pain or joy. Those two things are so, um, you know, hairs whisker close at all times. There is pain in the book and it was painful and difficult to write. Uh, people assume writing a memoir is cathartic. Um, 
it's interesting, it's useful, but it, it certainly wasn't cathartic. But there are also huge moments of joy. And I hope, and I know that readers have found um, a lot of hope. And for me, particularly the, the opportunities to connect with the stories of other women um, from different places from the past to feel their presence um, and to step a little bit into their lives has been something profoundly joyful and comforting to me. Um, and so I hope that it is a book that's, I guess, like like life, maybe particularly like the last few years, it's it's hard, but there are some there are some good things in there to be found. Some of those things are, are, are difficult to, to hear and some of them are beautiful, but I, I hope it's I hope it's all in there because of course I always want everything. I can't choose just one thing. Right, and in, in a funny way, I mean, talking to you, it seems as if maybe your condition of neurodivergence is regular life, but with all the boring bits taken out. <laughs> that that would be nice yes it's all it's regular life with all the bits boring bits taken out until you remember that you still have to do them um and they're all due tomorrow <laughs> i know you think uh, we, we've done lots of shows over the last couple of years about covid we did a show with laura kipnis for example on how covid's changed our ideas on dating and love and sex uh, how, how has covid ch uh, changed your life i know you know, these two books, Earth, and then it's rewriting in a th into a thousand ways to pay attention. It seems to be in some ways fueled by your COVID experience. Yes, I, I was talking to my um, British editor for Earth at an event recently, and we were trying to remember the process of writing and editing Earth. Um, and both of us struggle to piece it together because it it was I started writing it really as the pandemic started it was written in the the first um you know the, the strictest lockdown with my children at home and the world seeming to spin even more out of control than I'd already felt it was spinning and I think there were aspects of of lockdown that were very personally um helpful for me um actually being forced to retreat from the world not having to make excuses um was 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 positive and and for the writing there was a, there was a difficulty but there was this feeling that i was allowed to do anything because it was so difficult just to write it anyway and just to write it at this time and everything felt completely volatile but it it felt like a permission to communicate with uh, long dead women from from the plot's past or write sections in 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 poetry and and that's something that's continued into a thousand ways to tension i think to pay attention i think it's broken it, it allowed me to 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 break through perhaps some personal writing barriers that i might have been a bit more cautious about because it was like why not you know everything's like this what what you know what what could be worse i'll i'll just do it and see what happens well you've convinced me rebecca anyway i think your your publicist had a point um uh, this new book a thousand ways to pay attention a memoir of coming home to my neurodivergent mind is a fascinating idea of return a return to yourself it's as you suggested an adaption of your earth the memoir your british memoir so it's a sort of Earth 2.0, which has been renamed. Congratulations on the book. I think 
you're going to find a, a really interesting and sympathetic audience in the United States. I hope you'll have a chance to perhaps even come over here and talk about the new book. In addition to your new book, A Thousand Ways to Pay Attention, Rebecca, what else should people be reading in these odd times? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've recently read um, Jesse Greengrass's novel, The High House, um, which um, I've been trying to get back into novels after being on a real memoir jag for a long time. And I've, I found it to be one of those books that lingers and lingers and lingers. Um, it's a, uh, a, a, a sort of apocalyptic um, climate change novel, but you really wouldn't know it. <laughs> um, it, it and it's got a, an absolutely compelling plot and a, that wonderful sense that it's just a, a breath away from where we are now. Um, and I think about it often, it haunts me. Um, and her writing is as ever, I loved her first book, Sight, uh, beautiful and, and, and sparing and, um, and, and really um, lifts the family she writes about into, into our minds. So I'd, I'd really recommend that. It's a good um, recommendation, Rebecca. Do you have anything else? I do. Um, so I've, uh, it's not, a, it's not brand new, but um, A Ghost in the Throat. Um, I've only just read A Ghost in the Throat, which is a Doreen Nee Griefer. I'm looking to the side because I wrote how to pronounce her name down earlier. So um, she's an Irish poet and um, she has written this um, wonderful sort of hybrid memoir investigation that I'm, you know, I'm sure lots of readers will already know, but if they don't, um, she writes about motherhood in a way that is so um, completely uh, resonant um, and yet very elevated. No one can write about scrubbing a kitchen floor and dealing with a baby and a toddler and pumping breast milk in the way that she can. And in there is an investigation into this poet and poem that she becomes obsessed with. Um, So it's history and memoir and poetry altogether. I couldn't love that combination more. Yeah, and I I forgot to mention that you're also, I don't know if you are the founder or you're just a member of mothers who write so this obviously is very much in your wheelhouse too um and finally um rebecca schiller the author of a thousand ways to pay attention a very new way i think of thinking about the world and thinking about who is and isn't normal and what it means to be normal rebecca who's running things these days as we begin to rethink everything who who's in charge in late April 2022? Well, I I think I'm going to cheat and answer with kind of who I hope is in charge. Absolutely. <laughs> You're allowed to cheat. I'll, I'll give you special permission. Um, the real answer is too depressing. So the, who I would like to be in charge right now are my, my human kids and my new goat kids outside. Um, there is um, something very wonderful about seeing um, children who have been so lucky to have the opportunity to be out here. They know how to know how to dig. They know how to wrestle with a goat. They know how to clean out a bucket. And this wonderful connection between humans and animals that I think has a, a lot to teach us about our relationships with each other, a, a purity of relationship without ego and a lot of... Um, ability to reflect back our own selves and emotions to us so uh, yeah a combination a little herd of goat kids and a little herd of human children i would like to set them out there and put them in charge i think they do a great job 